2 Kings chapter 18. It's been a few weeks since we were in our study of the books of Kings, which we've been calling the King of Kings in the books of Kings. And since it's been three or four weeks, you might have forgotten where we are in the story. We're almost to the very end of the books of Kings. We have, including today, no more than four messages left to go to work our way through each one of the kings of Israel and Judah. Only eight chapters left in these books, and we'll have done the whole thing in just 31 sermons. Now, I know that we're starting to get tired of these kings and these kings and these kings. They have been, with very few exceptions, a broken record of boring badness. Try saying that three times fast. But hang with me, because there's some really good stories left to tell. And this morning's is one of the best of them. It's about King Hezekiah of Judah. Last time we were in 2 Kings, we read about the last king of the northern kingdom of Israel, Hosea. Hosea was a pretty good king for an Israelite king. Two thumbs down, but not nearly as bad as most of his predecessors. Regardless, the northern kingdom of Israel had been invaded and conquered and sent into exile by the great world power of Assyria. Because of their unfaithfulness, Israel is no more. It's a sad, sad story. But now our attention, our focus shifts to the southern kingdom of Judah from here to the end of the book. Judah has been slipping, but they've not yet slipped as Israel had. And now they get a new king, King Hezekiah. Before we begin reading chapter 18, I want to tell you the name of this sermon. I didn't have it when Marilyn sent the bulletins to print. I knew we were going to be in chapters 18, 19, and 20, but I didn't know what to call it. Here's the title. It's a quote taken from chapter 19 where King Hezekiah prays. He says, You alone, O Lord, are God. You alone, Yahweh, are God. And he says something like that twice in that chapter, in chapter 19. And I was really surprised to see that this is one of the only times in the Bible where that exact phrase is used. In fact, there are just a handful of passages like it that say that Yahweh is God alone. Such an important lesson to learn. And it's at the very center of today's story. We'll see that more clearly when we get to the dramatic part of Hezekiah's prayer in the story. Right now, let's pray together and then dive right in to 2 Kings 18. Father, here's our firm foundation. When everything else is sinking sand, when everything else is fiery trials, where our pathway lies, we've got this. We've got the sure and certain Word of God to guide us through. We've got You telling us who You are, what You've done in Jesus Christ. We've got light for our path, a lamp for our feet. We've got a revelation of the Son of God. We've got Scripture. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. Would you do that with us, to us, in us, this morning as we read your word? Correct us, rebuke us, train us, teach us in righteousness. We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. Amen. You ready? 
Here we go. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. In the third year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, last time's king, Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, daughter of Zechariah. And you know the very next thing, right? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Which one is he? Do you know? He's two, count them, two thumbs up. Verse 3, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. That's huge, by the way. That is said of no other king of Judah. He did right in the eyes of the Lord and just as his father David had done. Tell us about it. He removed the high places, smashed the sacred stones, and cut down the astral poles. He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made. For up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense to it. It was called Nehushtan. Isn't that interesting? Remember that old snake on a pole that Moses raised up in Numbers 21? Well, they kept it around. It was made of bronze, so it had lasted all these years. And it had kind of turned into an idol for them. Hezekiah got rid of it. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. Here's point number one of three. You alone are God who desires our faithfulness. God desires our faithfulness. Because look, here he is. Here's the king that we've been waiting for, right? He's Two, count them, two thumbs up. In fact, he seems like a second David. There are only two kings who the Bible tells us defeated the Philistines like this. David and Hezekiah. How many times have we said over the last few months that these kings had just one job? Well, Hezekiah knew he had just one job, and he did it faithfully. There was never a king like him among all the kings of Judah since the split, either before him or after him. He's as good as it gets. And here was his secret. Verse 5, Hezekiah trusted in Yahweh. Verse 6, he held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. What is that? That's trust and obey, right? Trust and obey. That word held fast in verse 6 is the same word as what we call cleaving. When a man and a woman get married, like in Genesis 2, they leave and then they cleave. They stick to one another. They grab and they hold on. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow Him. And I believe that's written here in 2 Kings 18 to remind us that that's what God has been looking for all along. Faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. What a breath of fresh air, huh? Didn't expect to hear that this morning from 2 Kings. Whew. And see the blessing that goes along with it. Verse 7, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Like, like the fruitful tree in Psalm 1, right? Blessed in all that he does. 
He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him like his foolish daddy Ahaz had done. From watchtower to fortified city, all over the place, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. God greatly desires our faithfulness. That's what he's looking for. Is he finding it? The author reminds us that the northern kingdom had done just the opposite. Verse 9, In King Hezekiah's fourth year, which was the seventh year of Hosea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, marched against Samaria and laid siege to it. This is just a reminder of what we learned about last time. At the end of three years, the Assyrians took it, so Samaria was captured in Hezekiah's sixth year, which was the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel. The king of Assyria deported Israel, to Assyria, and settled them in Hala, in Gozan, on the Habar River, and in the towns of the Medes. This happened because they had not obeyed the Lord their God, but had violated His covenant, unfaithfulness. All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, they neither listened to the commands nor carried them out. See, it was the opposite. They were unfaithful. They had their hands to their ears. No, 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 I'm not listening, right? And the Lord... It's because the Lord is on the lookout for faithfulness. When He looks at you and me, does He see it? Now, I'm not asking, are you perfect? I know you're not. And spoilers, neither is Hezekiah. But I'm asking if you trust and obey the Lord. Because as the song says, that's the way to be happy in Jesus, to trust and obey. That's what the Lord is seeking, hearts that are whole towards Him. Now, just because you're holy doesn't mean you'll escape suffering, right? It's through fiery trials, the pathway lies, right? And that's, that's what Hezekiah and his kingdom experienced too. They, they had the opposite of, of happy trails. They had fiery trials too. Just because Hezekiah was a faithful king doesn't mean that his kingdom would get off without fiery trials. They had plenty. And the biggest fiery trial had the name of Sennacherib the newest king of Assyria. Look at verse 13. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Uh Uh-oh. So Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent this message to the king of Assyria, Elakish, I've done wrong. Withdraw from me and I will pay whatever you demand of me. The king of Assyria exacted from Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and in the treasuries of the royal palace. At this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which he had covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. So, Hezekiah is not perfect. Just because you're two thumbs up doesn't mean that you're perfect. Here Hezekiah goes back on his previous approach of rebelling against Assyria and tries like his father Ahaz did to appease Assyria. He tries to pay them off. But that trick never works, at least for long. Verse 17, the king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They came up to Jerusalem and stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Now, I'll just stop there for a second because I want to say these cool Hebrew words. The Hebrew translated supreme commander, chief officer, and field commander is literally the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshaka. 
I've always loved those words, especially Rabshaka. So if you're looking for a good Wi-Fi password, Rabshaka would be a good one. Hey, John, can we change our password here to Rabshaka as our Wi-Fi password? No, that's not going to work. Um, we probably shouldn't have an Assyrian field commander's name as our Wi-Fi password anyway. But we're not exactly sure what these words mean. They're obviously the top dogs of the Assyrian army. They are here to deal directly with the king and talk him into surrender. Verse 18. They called for the king, and Eliakim son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna the secretary, and Joah son of Asaph the recorder went out to them. The field commander, one more time, Rabshakeh, said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? In other words, give up. Look now, you're depending on Egypt, I bet. That splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it. (laughs) Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. Give up. And if you say to me, We're depending on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? I think this guy's got the story a little mixed up. Come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. Your little paltry army hiding there behind the walls. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you're depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? What's he saying? He's saying, give up. Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it, which isn't true, but it sure sounds strong. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, please speak to your servants in Aramaic since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. This is diplomatic talk here. But the commander replied, even louder, I'll bet, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the men sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine? Give up. See how he's trying to demoralize the troops or even start a mutiny? Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me and come out to me. Now he's sweet talking. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern until I come and take take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he's misleading you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Give up. And then he goes too far. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Iva? 
Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land for me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? He sounds like a politician, doesn't he? Promising them the moon. Yeah, don't read the fine print about having to move to another land. We have a word for that. It's called exile. But he goes too far when he says that the Lord would be unable to deliver Jerusalem. Hezekiah may not be able to deliver them. Certainly, Hosea in the north was not able to deliver them. But I doubt that the Lord is going to let this one go by for very long. Verse 36. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him what the field commander had said. Chapter 19. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord, where he should have been before. Instead of raiding the silver, he should have been praying. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos. Yes, that Isaiah. This whole story is told, by the way, in the book of Isaiah as well. Verse 3. They told him, this is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace. As when children come to the point of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It may be that the Lord your God will hear all the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God. And they will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid of what you've heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I'm going to put such a spirit in him that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. God has got this one. When the field commander heard that the king of Assyria had left Lachish, he withdrew and found the king fighting against Libna. Now Sennacherib received a report that Terhaka, the Cushite king of Egypt, was marching out to fight against him. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah with this word, The clock is ticking, last chance, man. Say to Hezekiah, king of Judah, Do not let the God you depend on deceive you when he says, Jerusalem will not be handed over to the king of Assyria. Surely you've heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the countries, destroying them completely. By the way, this is true. Okay? Assyria has just wrecked havoc wherever they've gone. Everywhere they go, they win. And they take over and they deport uh, people and they, ex- they send people into exile and there's devastation and there's slavery. Everywhere Assyria goes, this is what's happened. Okay? So they, except for God's word, they should believe this is what's going to happen. When he gets to taunting, it's not like he doesn't have the full force of Assyria behind him to do this. And will you be delivered, he says? But he's digging his own grave. Did the gods of the nations that were destroyed by my forefathers deliver them? The gods of Gozan, Haran, Rezif, and the people of Eden who were in Tel Asar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Shepharvaim, or of Hena, or of Eva? Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. 
Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim. Here it is. You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib have sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by men's hands. But you're real, right? You're real, God. Now, O Lord our God, deliver from his hand, us from His hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know that You alone, O Lord, are God. Friends, that's why Hezekiah is two thumbs up. He doesn't always get it right, but when he gets it right, he's like David or Solomon in his splendor. Remember what Solomon said that the king should do if the kingdom got attacked? This very thing right here. Head up to the temple and pray. Lay it all out before the Lord and remind the Lord that He alone is God and that our eyes are on Him. You alone, O Lord, are God, number two, who brooks no rivals. You are a God who brooks no rivals. Those other gods who failed weren't gods at all. You alone are God, and we are looking at you. We are praying to you. We are trusting you. And the Lord was listening. Verse 20. Then Isaiah, son of Amoz, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. This is the word the Lord has spoken against him. The virgin daughter of Zion despises you and mocks you. The daughter of Jerusalem tosses her head as you flee. See, two can play at this game of taunting the enemy. And the last to speak is the one who will win. Who is it you have insulted and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride? Huh? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you've heaped insults on the Lord. And you have said, with my many chariots I have ascended the heights of the mountains. The utmost heights of Lebanon I have cut down its tallest cedars, the choicest of its pines. I have reached its remotest parts, the finest of its forests. I have dug wells in foreign lands and drunk the water there. With the soles of my feet I have dried up all the streams of Egypt. You think you're God. But you couldn't have done any of that without me. It's actually part of my plan. Verse 25. Have you not heard? Long ago, I ordained it. In days of old, I planned it. Now I've brought it to pass that you have turned fortified cities into piles of stone. Their people, drained of power, are dismayed and put to shame. They are like plants in the field, like tender green shoots, like grass, sprouting on the roof, scorched before it grows up. But you won't be doing that to me. Because I know where you stay. And when you come and go and how you rage against me, Because you rage against me and your insolence has reached my divine ears, I'll put my hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I'll make you return by the way you came. 
You will be my slaves and I'll go. This will be the sign for you, O Hezekiah. This year you'll eat what grows by itself, and the second year what springs from that, but in the third year sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. In a few years this is all going to be just a bad memory. Once more a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter the city or shoot an arrow here. He'll not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. It sure didn't seem like it. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of soldiers camped outside the walls of Jerusalem. I mean, if you had, like, try and picture it as a movie, right? You got Jerusalem, this city, it's got a wall, it's got however many thousands of people inside of it, and there's hundreds of thousands camped outside. And everywhere they've swarmed before, they've left desolation in their wake. That's what it seems like. It seems like it's Sayonara, Jerusalem. Except Yahweh has said, you're not coming in here. If you'd have been there, this promise would have seemed almost impossible. But you can hear in Isaiah's words what God was thinking. He was thinking, I am God alone. Psalm 42, verse 8, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. Or foreign rulers who think they're God. Why does God want our faithfulness? Because He's worthy of it. He's not insecure. Some people think that God is insecure. That's why He keeps demanding faithfulness and praise. Trust me, follow me, trust me, follow me. Praise me, praise me, praise me. If I went around saying that, my family would be like, "Mm." you'd be like, man, enough about the Matt stuff, right? But when Yahweh says it, it's because God is that worthy, that trustworthy, that unique and wonderful, that anything else than supreme worship is so far beneath Him that it's a failure. Yahweh brooks no rivals. He wants to be first in our hearts. And why shouldn't He be? Look at who Hezekiah said that He is. He is over all the kings of the earth. In fact, He made heaven and earth. Think about that. The Lord made the heavens and the earth. Everything we see is from His mind. It's His design, His power in bringing everything into existence. Why is there stuff? Because God made it. Why are we? Because He made us. We are His creation. That's why it's a sin to worship the creation rather than the Creator. Because He made it all. And He deserves the glory. One of the chief applications of this entire story is to call our hearts to worship God alone because He alone is worthy of our worship. He is zealous for His glory and for good reason. It didn't seem like there was any possibility of Hezekiah and Jerusalem getting out of this bind. 
Hezekiah is tearing his robes. He is saying that life is like stillbirth. Life for Jerusalem is like that time when it's time for the baby, but there's just no strength to do it. And everybody just dies. It's that bad. Yeah. But Yahweh says, verse 34, that for his own sake, his glory, and for the sake of David, his servant, his covenant promises to him, he will defend and deliver the city. Are you ready for it? Last point, number three. You alone are God. You alone, O Lord, are God who rescues his people. Look at verse 35. That night, the angel of Yahweh went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. One day, while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons Adramelech and Sharezer cut him down with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat, and Ezrahaddon, his son, succeeded him as king. The Lord brooks no rivals, keeps all of his promises and threats, and in the process, rescues his people. Can you imagine what it must have been like to wake up that morning and see all of those corpses? 185,000 men in one night. It's like a second Passover, isn't it? The angel of the Lord passing through and killing all of those men. And in the process, saving his people. You know, that's amazing. And it shows God's heart for rescuing his people. But we know of a greater rescue that God has enacted at the cross. There was an even greater enemy there. Sin is a greater enemy than Assyria ever was. But God dealt with it in a powerful way by putting sin on the shoulders of Jesus, the Christ. The Bible says that at the cross, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah, what a Savior. How powerful He was to kill those enemies. How powerful He is to raise Jesus from the dead for our justification. The Lord delights to rescue His people. In chapter 20, He rescues King Hezekiah from an illness. Look at chapter 20, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. If I'm reading it right, this is actually a flashback to right around when Sennacherib attacks. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amoz, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, O Lord, how I've walked before you faithfully and with wholehearted devotion and have done what is good in your eyes. I've been faithful. I'm a two thumbs up king. Please remember that as you decide what to do with me. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, and it was a word of mercy. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David, says, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. 
And I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria. Foreshadowing of what's going to happen in this flashback. I will defend this city for my sake and for the sake of my servant David. That's the same thing he said in verse 34 of the last chapter. He loves to rescue his people. Verse 7. Then Isaiah said, prepare a poultice of figs. They did so and applied it to the boil, and he recovered. Hezekiah had asked Isaiah, what will be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I will go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now when I'm ceremonially clean again? Isaiah answered, this is the Lord's sign to you that the Lord will do what he's promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or shall it go back ten steps? Back ten steps. Here's a test. It's like the test that was given to Jehoash with the three arrows, remember? How much faith do you have? Will you, I'm, gonna, I'm saying go ahead and test me. How much do you want? Hezekiah passes the test. He asks God to do something big. He says, it's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten steps. Rather, have it go back ten steps. And the prophet Isaiah called upon the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps that had gone down on the stairway of Ahaz. The Lord delights to deliver His people if they will trust Him. However, this story doesn't end as happily as it began. Hezekiah has been two thumbs up, but he still did something really stupid. And his nation was still really on the decline. Verse 12. At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift.